Mud Stories, Episode 57. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. It was such a time of a turning point in my trust in God that he sees this woman in Lincoln, Nebraska with a heart that is just pounding with hurt. It blew my mind that he was so detailed. It was really learning about myself as a mom and who I really trusted. Did I trust myself or did I trust God? I think the whole experience just really taught me to um, put God first as a parent. And then I was, you know, my husband and I were following behind that, behind him. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast, and if this is your very first time joining us, I am so very glad you're here. Welcome, a huge big welcome to you. And it always is my hope that these stories and this episode will be a great encouragement to you, no matter what mud or suffering or adversity or stuff that you're facing today. Because we all have stuff, right? All of us, each and every one. And so, you know, there have been some big changes going on in my family this last week. I thought I'd give you a little update on what's happening. For the last four years, I've been homeschooling my four kids kids. And this last week, they all went back and re-entered school. And I have been dealing with car lines and chaos and new homework papers and backpacks and all kinds of things, pickup locations and volleyball tryouts. And actually, my son in sixth grade, he signed up to play middle school flag football. And the fourth practice, poor guy, he fell on his arm and broke his left radius. And so now we have a red cast with which he started middle school. And so uh, yeah, it's been an eventful week, I will say but a good one too, a really amazing change to our family and yet such a big blessing at the same time. So I'm looking forward to this school year and all that it holds. And I thought in the month of September, it would be really helpful because I'm always looking for insight and wisdom to help me along my parenting journey because parenting is full of mud, right? There is messy, muddy situations that happen as we learn to parent our kids or even grandparent our kids because that changes too. And so as I reflected on September and what the season of fall and back to school entails, I thought it'd be great to invite a guest to talk to us about the mud of parenting. And I think that there's a lot of resources I would say maybe more resources that I'm aware of on parenting, maybe babies, toddlers, preschoolers, even elementary kids through those processes of learning chores and contributing to the family and training of their hearts and things like that. But it seems like once we get to those preteen years and adolescent years and even into young adulthood in our late teens and early 20s of our kids' lives, there tends to be a little bit less to go to, to reflect upon, because every season of parenthood is different, and we're just always learning along the way. And so I'm really 
excited today to bring to you an episode. Actually, this is going to be part one of a two-part episode with Leela Chili, and I'm so thankful that she agreed to be with us and talk about the mud that she's faced parenting her young adult children. And she has two kids in their 20s now and one who is 14, and there's just been some stuff she's been through, and I'm so glad that she's willing to share. You know, it's kind of hard when we talk about parenting our young adult kids or our teenage kids because Uh, There's a line there of privacy and confidentiality that we never want to cross. We don't want to breach any of of telling of their own story because it is their story, not our story. But we have a congruent story that's going along at the same time as their story is happening. And as parents of teenagers and young adults, we need encouragement too. And so I'm so glad Leela's here to share with you her story. Now, I've created some show notes for this episode and I'll tell you all about how to get those for absolutely free on the other side of this conversation. And I wanted to quickly just introduce to you Leela. She is a mom to three, a grandma to two beautiful girls. She resides in Nebraska with her husband, Gene, and she's a writer and a speaker and a conference host. And I'm so glad she's here. So if you have struggled as a parent with the decisions that you make, how to discipline your kids, how much to hover, how much to rescue, how much... Uh, consequences to give to any given circumstance or behavior or decision. Today, this episode is for you, and it's part one of two parts. And so here, without further delay, is part one of my conversation with Leela Cheely. Enjoy. Hi, Leela. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast, and thanks for saying yes to join me here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Me too. Well, when I realized how many mutual friends we had in common, I just knew that I had to find out more about you. And so when I went and read your story, we had to talk and I'm (laughs) so glad you're here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So as we begin, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, where you live and what you do. I am a wife and mom of three. Um, I have two adult children. Alyssa is 25 and Aaron's 21. Olivia will be 14 here in July. And um, I have two granddaughters, seven and six years old, Amaya and Juliana. And those are Alyssa's girls. And my husband and I, we have been together for 24 years, but we've been married. We'll celebrate 16 here at the end of this month. So, and... I do home health care. I've done that for 24 years. The care is in their home. And um, I had the same client. I was blessed to have the same client for three years. So we were very attached. And I was pretty much his family. And so, yeah, I just take care of them in their home. That way they can be where they want to be and live out their last days, months, or years in a place that they love. So it's good. I love the job. I imagine it would be bonding. I know in nursing You know, I don't get to have an ongoing relationship with my patients because I'm in an acute care hospital setting. But I would imagine in the times when I did have experience doing home health, you know, wound care and, you know, teaching about diabetes, like a new diagnosis or something like that. I did some rotations at the end of training. And it was nice to know that every Tuesday I was going to go visit Mrs. So-and-so at her house and, you know, reconnect and you, you build a relationship with them and it's special. You do, yes. And I was very blessed. He was a very strong man of God, and I learned a lot from him. Oh. So it, uh, it was probably better for me than it was him. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Isn't that amazing? We think that we're the ones helping them and they actually teach and help us. Right. Yes. I love that. It makes it rewarding. Mm -hmm. So tell us about where you live. I am in Nebraska. Nebraska. Right. In the middle of the United States. I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, and yeah, I, I run a women's conference here called Refresh My Heart that we run every March um, in this little city called Nebraska City. It's like a, a little um, historical town. So we go up there every spring and hold a women's conference. We've done it for three years now, and I do some writing and speaking, and yeah, Nebraska's, uh, I always thought that I was going to be somewhere in Florida. I, my dad was from Florida and we'd go there for vacation and I was just determined to one day move there. <laughs> then I ended up meeting my husband and marrying him who is from Orlando, Florida. So I thought, wow, I have my ticket to be. For sure. Florida is going to happen, right? <laughs> yes. It's <in> my future. <laughs> and uh, we've only gone there for vacation. So I don't know if I'll ever get my beach life, but um, I do love Nebraska and I have some really great friends here and my family's all here too. So it's a good spot. Oh, I do not know what to do with snow. So snow for me would be like the biggest learning curve. I, I we, ha- we have mountains close by and my husband and I have a cabin here about an hour and a half away and they get like, you know, seven, eight feet of snow. It's not like I haven't been in snow, but living in snow day in and day out and all those things of having your car work and waiting for the snow plow and all of that kind of yes. thing that would totally throw me <laughs> yeah I, I really it's a very challenging season for me because I do not care for the snow I want it I want to order it I want it on Christmas and um, stuff like that but then that's it I want it to just go away and get warm again and so it's a very challenging time for my tongue I really have to not curse at the snow <laughs> I really have to be careful <laughs> Yes. Oh, finding the gift in something that's hard to appreciate, that would be a challenge. It is, yeah. It is a challenging um, place for me to live, that's for sure. I was amazed. I was like, but you know what? The springtime after snow, you guys have the most beautiful flowers and just life that that comes after such deep, dark winter. I, I, we don't have that here. And so I think that's a beautiful gift that is given after that. I'm coveting peonies right now because if I ever come somewhere like that in the spring, I'm going to be requesting peonies to the hilt for sure. They are just stunning. Okay. Oh, okay. So, Leela, we here at Mud Stories, we talk about the mud. And um, because of the deep mud through which I've walked, I tend to be drawn to others who've walked through mud too. I think it's something about being changed by suffering that makes you feel drawn to others who have really gone through hard things. And it, you know, mud and hard things change us in so many ways. And I think God uses our suffering to grow our perspective for life, our compassion for others, and often our purpose in how he uses our stories to help us share him with the world. And so I know you've been through quite a bit of mud in your life, and we can talk about bits of that, but I'd love to get your experience and perspectives specifically on the mud we face as we navigate the parenting of our adolescent and young adult kids. Because I think there's a lot of advice and wisdom circulating for parents who have younger kids Mm-hmm. Maybe even elementary age kids and, um, you know, books being written about, you know, structure and chores and rules and, and how to 
to help kids develop discipline. But I think as we start to begin to become parents of young adolescents who are learning how to come into their own and launching them through high school into their young adult lives, it really can be muddy. And I think there's less resources for parents of young adult kids. And so I'm just thrilled that you're here because I know that you've faced some mud and have some experience with that. And so I'd love it if you'd just take us back and share with us, you know, maybe some parts of the beginning, what parenting looked like for you in the early years leading into that launching phase, and what eventually happened in and through that experience for you along the way? Well, I was a, I was a young mom. I was a teen mom uh, myself. And so for the first year, I mean, I, my parents helped me tremendously. And, but I, I was until she was about a year that I met my husband. And so I did, you know, I made a lot of mistakes with her, you know, just um, trying to really protect her from being me. I didn't want her to be the way that I was. And I had um, gone through my wild child phase, you know, probably from about 14 on. And so I was very overprotective with her. I was very, I always wanted to beat her to the sin. You know, I was trying to be ahead of her all the time, which was such a smothering factor. That's exhausting. It was. I couldn't keep up. Yeah. And I, I almost think that I, I mean, I know that we're all responsible for our own choices, but I almost feel like I led her into rebellion because it was so suffocating. And I see it now. Mm. I did not see it then. But oh, when Alyssa was a senior in high school, she um, got pregnant. And then 14 months later, she was pregnant again. And those years were really tough with her. her she, she pretty much followed my path as far as um, when she began to kind of act out. And it was the same, you know, I could just see myself in her so much. And it didn't matter how much I shared my story with her. She, you know, was determined to follow her own path. Uh, she's 25 now and is doing amazing. It's just, she's, this past year in October, our little, our youngest granddaughter who just turned six, she um, was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And she has probably the worst uh, kind that kids can get. And so it's been very, very difficult for Alyssa, a 25-year-old mom, watching her daughter go through this. And it's been also very, very neat. She's gone back to church and um, just really thriving in all areas. She just, two weeks ago, she called me and she goes, so I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And I'm sitting there going, yeah. <laughs> I go, really? And I said, well, she goes, yeah, I read that chapter today. I said, well, what verse really popped out at you? She grabbed her Bible and she read verse 25 to me. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she said that that's the kind of woman that she wants to be. And it was just such a rewarding, rewarding time because it was like, finally, she's really understanding mm -hmm. who she wants to be in God. And it's, it's been a very neat journey with her. And she just applied to the nursing school and we're just waiting to hear back on that. She'd always wanted to be a nurse, but the, going through this trial with her daughter mm -hmm. has really been eye-opening for her and really encouraged her to, that is what she wants to do in life. So I love that. Yeah, she's a great, she's a great woman. And, um, I'm excited about her future and she's a great mom. She's a wonderful mom to these girls. 
So Well, and it just speaks of God's power to be able to redeem. I mean, he's done that in your life. And he's doing that in Alyssa's life, even through mm-hmm. what she's gone through. But she's had to choose to say yes to God. Yes, and definitely. Yeah, that, that, that's one thing I learned, too, is that, you know, everybody's journey with God is their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't, I think with, you know, when we raise kids, we can get them to believe our religious beliefs and our political, you know, beliefs. And sometimes they just go with that, you know, just because mom and dad did. And I really wanted um, uh, her to, all of the kids, you know, later, now I see. But at the beginning, it was like, this is how it is, until I learned in my late 20s that God wanted a relationship with us. Mm-hmm. And so that was my view, and that was completely different. Like, I really don't try to have their Jesus moments for them. <laughs> I yeah. allow them to have them. And then I rejoice when they do. So parenting is it's just a never-ending learning process. Isn't it though? I know. Mm -hmm. I know. And it's almost like you have to get in the game, have some skin in the game for a while before you really start to learn these lessons. It's sad, but it's true. You know, right? just putting in the time and asking God for wisdom. He's so good to give us wisdom, but we don't always recognize the wisdom he's sending our way. (laughs) That's the problem. I know. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience as you parented Aaron? Um, Aaron was, I, I think I was more lenient with Aaron. I, I don't know if it was because he was a boy, but it was just a little different. And I don't know if it was more laid back, but he was just, you know, I really had to take a different approach with him because he would often say, you know, well, I'm not Alyssa. And, and it was like, I would kind of buy that a little bit. <laughs> But then, <laughs> but then he would do something, and I was like, dang it, I put that trust in you. And, and um, it was different, and I realized that he wasn't, um, you know, him trying to play that card of I'm not my sister, you know, kind of thing, um, which Alyssa's a great kid, but, you know, she just had her, her share of trouble that she chose to get into. But So he would often, often, you know, reflect on that and try to convince us that, you know, he's not doing those kind of things. But he would do his own stuff and, and find, you know, we'd find out of course. And so Aaron, Aaron took some different challenges, um, in high school, but it wasn't until his senior year that things that he was doing was revealed. And that was a super, super hard time for us. Mm. Um, back in March of 2012, I got up to do my normal routine of quiet time and I really felt God nudging me in a different direction, and that was to write in a journal. Well, I hadn't written in a journal forever, and I do a lot of my writing, you know, of course, on the computer. And so I was kind of arguing, like, I don't have a journal. I don't, you know, I was just trying to make up some excuses, but he was just relentless. And so I remembered a gal had given me at a conference had given me a journal. So I went and found it, and I sat down, and I said, okay, and I was kind of, you know, flippant. I was like, what do you want me to do? And I really felt he wanted me to go to a psalm and write out a psalm and put my son's name in it. And so I was going through, just kind of flipping through the psalms. And when I got to Psalm 119, the very first part of that really just caught my eye. Uh, Verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? And I was like, oh, Okay, this is the ver- this is the chapter. I'll write this 
you know, this psalm out. Well, I didn't realize that Psalm 119 is not only the longest psalm, but it's the longest chapter in the in the whole Bible with 176 verses. So it took me a couple hours to hand write out each verse and insert my son's name in it somewhere. But what I didn't know is we, we knew to an extent of what, you know, that Aaron wasn't on the right path, but we really didn't know details. And what God did with that is I was up to that point, I had been that parent that I would be driving to work or going somewhere and just kind of throw out a prayer for my kids. Lord, have, help them to have a good day. That was probably my biggest prayer for my kids was help them to have a good day. Even even after going through everything that we did with our daughter, that was still my my main prayer for my kids. And um, that day I sat down and I wrote out 176 prayers for my child without even knowing it until later that evening. I was at work. I worked at um, a gym at the time with uh, some friends of mine that started the gym. So I was their secretary and my husband had dropped me off that day, which normally I would drive. And he came and picked me up early because two detectives had shown up at our house looking for our son. And it was for something that he had been involved with over the weekend. And I'm, you know, I'm getting the story from my husband and then I went home and I, I, we had the business card of the detective. So I called the detective and I went into my garage because I didn't want our daughter to hear the conversation. I just remember hearing the story and saying, okay, you've got the wrong kid. You know, he wouldn't do that. It's not how he was raised. And he's like, well, evidence shows that we do have the right kid. And he was 17 at the time, and he was two months away from graduation. And I'm just like, and this is a felony. And I was just in the garage crying and crying and crying, saying, this cannot be. He doesn't do this kind of stuff. And we couldn't find him. He had, I think the reason I had sat down and God had me write out those verses is, well, for one, God knew the whole picture. He knew what, what, you know, Aaron was involved in, um, but also my prayers were weak for my child, and he would, he knew that what was coming in just a few short hours. But also, it really gave me insight into what was really going on, and it really helped me in those hours. He had the night before this, he had come into the home, and we had told him that he couldn't drive for a while. And I was at at work that over the night shift, and my husband called me at work at like four o'clock in the morning, saying that he was gone. And first time, instead of going into panic mode, I just prayed and cried. And I tried to call him. He didn't answer his phone. But I knew that he was, he's not a kid that would just pack a bag and walk. He would get someone to pick him up. So I knew he was okay. But it was just a weird, a different reaction for me because with Mm -hmm. my daughter, I was always trying to track her down and find her, you know, always trying to, you know, keep her biased. And with him, it was just like, okay. I know he's I know he's okay. I know he's safe. He just needs some time to, you know, figure out his life or whatever he's doing in this moment. And so he finally did reach out to me that morning and just told me he loved me and I didn't ask him where he was. Um, you know, and then it was later that evening is when the detective showed up. And that really changed everything in our world at that moment. You know, we had never walked this path before, uh, of having a child with the possibility of prison time or anything. So it was a very scary and it was a a time I realized that mom was not going to bail her kid out. Um, There was no way I could do that. And I remember the next day he had, um, 
my daughter had found him and he was with my parent with my mom he's very very close to my mom and he was with my mom and they had um you know hired a lawyer and everything and we went in for the meeting with the lawyer and, and he said okay this is what's going to happen you're going to go in you're going to have the interview with the detective then you're going to um, be booked and you're going to stay in jail until you can go to court which you either be the next day or the following day and I just remember getting physically sick that I turned around in the chair and just felt like a throw up right there um, because that was the moment I realized that there was nothing like my hands were off of it I couldn't do anything I couldn't save him I couldn't write a note I couldn't you know um, yeah the stakes were higher now stakes were higher there was nothing I could do so mm-hmm. yeah it was a very scary place to be and so we that night at midnight the, the day before we had gone to uh, meet with a detective in the afternoon and at 10 30 in the morning is when we met with the, uh, the lawyer and the night before when after the detectives had come to our house and Aaron had been found and he was with my mom and dad I got into bed it was a little after midnight and I remembered the journal and I went out to I went out and got it and I, I came in I said I told my husband I said listen to this hmm. and I read through the whole thing and I remember at the very end I had written out the verse and I didn't write the verses word for word I would just kind of paraphrase them and then put in um, his name somewhere in that verse yeah but the very last verse um, it says um, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. And I had written it differently to where, you know, it said Aaron has strayed and help him come back to you. And, and you know, and then at the very end I wrote amen. And, you know, it was just like I didn't even realize, even with writing amen, that God had sat me down for two hours and I prayed over my son. Um, that was just kind of the way I was closing it out. But it was that, you know, at midnight that I realized, I told my husband, wow. God had me pray over Aaron for over two hours. I mean, I had writer's cramp and everything because I wasn't <laughs> even writing that long, you know. Oh. And it's a uh, neat journal for me to still go back and, and look at that and reflect on and realize that God was with me before I even knew that I needed him to be there. Mm. So that was a really neat time for me, a hard time. And it, it was a, a year of just wondering because – with the court systems, it's just everything's so slow. It gets pushed back, mm-hmm. you know, uh, delays, delays, delays. But as it got closer to when the judge said, okay, no more delays, we're going forward, that is when it became probably really real to me that I realized that he's facing prison time and there's nothing that I can do. And so during that year, it was just a time of we had kept it quiet, um, just close family or friends knew about it. I never, you know, I use Facebook as a ministry. It's nothing that it was I ever put out on Facebook. We did not go public with it until we started getting phone calls and messages from people because they had seen it on the news. As the time got closer, the judge had sentenced the, there was three other men involved, and each man was sentenced separately. And each mm-hmm. man got six to ten years. And my son was the last one to be sentenced. And I was just... I couldn't imagine six to 10 years being away from him. I had really struggled with my thoughts. I, in my past, I have uh, adultery. Uh, my, my husband and I both had affairs the first year of our marriage or so, 
first part of our marriage and um I'd had an abortion from that and just there was just so much in my past and I found myself uh as the closer that sentencing got my thoughts wandering away from God and so I had decided um to keep a it is written journal because I was reading the story of when Jesus was tempted and you know his response to Satan was always it is written it is written right so I thought I'm going to do that. I'm going to have a It Is Written journal. So I did. I had my notebook, and I wrote on the top of it, It Is Written. And every time throughout my day, I would have some kind of thought that I knew was not from God, that I would just go and I would um, find a verse, and I would write the verse in there. And my girlfriend, Renee Swope, she taught me how to uh, replace fast with truth in her book, A Confident Heart. I really learned that, and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to replace this trash with the truth of God. And so that was my It Is Written journal. But you know how when the doctor gives you a 10-day medication, and after, like, day three, you're feeling really peppy and good? <laughs> yeah, and... and you don't finish the whole course because you think you're good to go? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. I was like, okay, I'm feeling good. And I, I stopped writing in my journal. So it was only, like, a four-day journal. And so about 10 days, it, it was it was 10 days before sentencing, I was still, again, in a a position of just struggle where I was just wrestling with, you know, my thoughts. And at my client's house, we had kept um, communication journals for, he was a 24-hour client. So we would each in our shift write what he did, ate, stuff like that during his, our shift. And I went downstairs. We had, he had uh, two boxes of the Mead subject notebooks. And so I went downstairs to get a a new notebook. And oftentimes when we would go down, his wife had passed away about nine years ago, and they were really strong believers. But once in a while, we would grab a notebook that would have her writing in it. And it usually was was notes, we think probably from like a sermon or something like that, um, or Bible reading. But she always had these really neat notes. And it was just a hit and miss. Like we would, some of the notebooks would be completely blank, and other times it'd have her writing in it. Well, this time I was going down the stairs and I remember telling myself, which is so bizarre, but I remember saying to myself, pick a yellow one, it will make you happy. Because he had all these spiral notebooks, these little 70-page Mead notebooks that uh, were all sorts of the rainbow colors. You know, he had green, purple, red, blue, yellow. And I remember saying that on the way downstairs and I thought, that's so weird. Why Why would yellow make me happy? But I did. I went through and I started thumbing through all the spiral notebooks until I found a yellow notebook. And I was going upstairs, and he had railings on the on his staircase, and so his chair, my client's chair, was right up against that railing. And I just stopped when I got to the level he was at, and I just, for some reason, I looked at the notebook, and on the cover of the notebook, in all capital letters, it said, "It is written." And I just stopped. I was like, "Whoa!" And I remember just looking at, you know, looking at him. He, he didn't, he was watching a movie and he, his back was to me, so he didn't know what was going on. But I remember looking around at him and down the stairs and thinking, is Jesus here? Did he just write this on his notebook? <laughs> like, what the heck? Because I didn't tell anybody about this notebook. It was just something that I was keeping. And I was so floored. I looked in the inside of the notebook. There was nothing written on the inside. And I got upstairs and I just kind of threw it on the dining room table and just was kind of pacing and, and going, what the heck? Like, hmm. what kind of God does this? An engaged and connected God. Oh, so connected, yes. And I just remember going, 
nobody's going to believe me. I can't, you know, I didn't even call my husband for a while about it because I was like, nobody is going to believe that this really happened. (laughs) And it was such a time of a turning point in my trust in God that he sees this woman in Lincoln, Nebraska with a heart that is just pounding with hurt. And yet he had, you know, if, if it was the wife that did it, she did it at that time. She was gone for seven years. So she Mm -hmm. did it seven years before this. It blew my mind that he was so detailed Mm -hmm. that he would know that I would need, you know, that in 2013. And it was just, Oh my goodness. It was awesome. Awesome. It just amazes me how God, even in the littlest ways, shows himself and reveals himself to us. Because I'm sure when you sat down to write that psalm out that day, you know, you say, God was telling me to write out a psalm. But, you know, we don't audibly hear him. But I think what you're describing is that impression in your heart that wouldn't go away. You know, the Holy Spirit resides inside of us when we are followers of Christ. When we become Christians, God sends us the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within our hearts. And so that still small voice you were hearing was that impression in your heart that I should write a psalm because I think the Holy Spirit can bring thoughts to our mind like that. And so the fact that you did that and then later how you decided as you were struggling through those thoughts that you were having to go ahead and do an It Is Written journal and then the fact that your client would have a random notebook that had that title from somebody who had written it seven years before. I mean, he's just, God is so amazing in in how he woos us and, and reassures us, hey, I see you and I know you and I love you deeply and I'm here. Um, Can you describe a little bit more about, as a mom, what you were facing and struggling with as far as the thoughts that were coming and what that part really looked like? Because you talked about replacing the thoughts that weren't congruent with God's word. But what was that struggle? What were those thoughts? What were you facing? Well, um, I felt so much shame. And I really tried to go back in my 18 years with him and try to pinpoint exactly where I had messed up, where I I had gone wrong. And, you know, I I understood that, you know, he was older and he was responsible for his own choices. But I really felt a responsibility there, too. And it was just, you know, really trying to figure that out. And so for me, it was learning to forgive myself for anything that I did do wrong. Cause I know I did do things wrong. Uh, for instance, the weak prayers that I threw up for my kids were just looking back at that. I was like, man, I don't pray that anymore. I pray that God interrupts their day. I don't care about them having a good day. <laughs> I want him to be, you know, in the middle of their day in the beginning of their day and at the end. And so I don't pray, pray that anymore, but it was really learning about myself as a mom and who I really trusted. Did I trust myself or did I trust God? I think the whole experience just really taught me to um, put God first as a parent in Aaron's life. And then I was, you know, my husband and I were following behind that, Mm -hmm. behind him. That's such a pivotal shift that Mm -hmm. unfortunately I think a lot of people don't make. Um, And one of the reasons why I wanted you to share, because I think we have a tendency as parents to base our self-worth and our confidence in the success of our kids 
which causes a problem for our hearts when they make a mistake because then we feel like we're failures as people. Mm-hmm. And right. and that shift of learning, you know, when when your kid faces a situation that's beyond your ability to rescue them from. Um, it really brings you to a low place and really a place of surrender to say, okay, what God do you want to teach me about this situation? Because clearly the facade of me being in control is just that, a facade. And now there is nothing I can do to rescue or, you know, it's not like you can write a note to the teacher and it can be all okay, you know, and yet separating ourselves. I think this is the challenge. It has been a challenge for me as I parent an adult now. And, you know, even just this last year, um, there was a situation I became aware of. I became aware of something that he was involved in that was not okay. And yet, in the beginning days of discovering it, I was angry. I was really angry. And my son doesn't live with me. So I at least had some space and time to decide what the response was going to be. But my first response was, you know, <laughs> not a good one, Leela. <laughs> not a good one. Internally, <laughs> I was wanting to yell at him. And I, how could you? And what are you thinking? And this is so stupid. And this isn't what I taught you. And and I had all those feelings again that I thought I had worked through. You know, how could I have a child that's choosing this? This wasn't how I trained him. This isn't what I believe in. This isn't something that I'm okay with. And, you know, it took me a week or two to really process how am I going to deal with this information? And so I processed with my husband and we we decided, okay, well, if he wasn't our child, what kind of advice would we give a young adult college kid? You know, we wouldn't berate them. We wouldn't yell at them. How would we draw them in? What does God do to us? You know, how I love how you talk about how parenting them as God parents us he is our example. And so we ended up just really having him over for dinner and just on a side note, hey, by the way, I became aware of this. You know, no, I think tone is so important with these kids too as they become young adults because our tone really communicates a lot to them about our attitude and opinion behind the content of what we're saying. We could say something in one tone versus another tone and it communicates a completely different completely different message and it can get them defensive and shut them down and so it was Mm -hmm. just real matter of fact and we just said you know I'm aware of this and I was able to distance a little bit and to get some perspective and then the matter of fact kind of approach with being able to point him to the fact of okay this is the path you're choosing and I love you and I want to support you but I don't really desire to watch you go through pain. And so let's walk this through. What do you want out of your life? And who do you want to become? And is the path that you're choosing right now going to lead you to a goal that you want to reach or not? Is this the kind of person you really want to be known as? Is this what you've envisioned for your life as being a contributor to society? You know, and just rather than mm-hmm. lecturing or shaming or having it tied into our worth as parents, it, it has been helpful for me to learn along the way that this is so not about me. This is about them and their own Mm -hmm. journey through life and their own story and them figuring it out. And we have the privilege of having front row seats 
to guide and direct with wisdom when they ask. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your experience with that and if any of that's resonating with you. And also when people ask, you know, well, what is it that Aaron did that was a felony or what is it that he was, you know, considering being sentenced for and how you've wrestled through answering that question as well. Because, you know, as I don't feel free to share what it is I discovered my son was doing, mm-hmm. I'm feeling like you, uh, you know, have, have come and wrestled through that issue as well. Yeah, and that is a question that I get asked a lot. And um, especially if I'm in a speaking engagement afterwards, they people always want to know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do kind of address it more now when I speak um, as far as uh, just letting them know up, up front that I'm not going to tell you because that's, that's not my story to tell. Um, I do tell my part of it. Yeah. Just really learning that this was, this was my journey. So I don't ever to this day, I have never told uh, what Aaron has done and it's, you know, one day if he shares that great, but um, yeah. it's just not anything that I will ever share. It's his story. Well. I, I learned that difference. Yeah. I learned that difference. Um, too. I, I look back at when I, my first blogging days back in, when I started in 2007 and how I overshared. <laughs> and, mm. and I think I learned this lesson best from, uh, Jesus's mom, Mary was that, you know, there's verses that say she pondered and, and treasured these things in her heart. And mm-hmm. so I really try to do that, that with my kids, uh, now that, there are just things that, you know, I'm not ever going to share um, until God, you know, prompts me. And, and and then again, it's always with permission. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I've, I've always said to my family, you know, because I've been blogging for so long that, you know, I would just look at them and go, oh, you are such great blogging material. <laughs> you know? so, so they all, you know, are you going to write about this? Right. Do I have your permission to write You're about like, it? but you are amazing <laughs> fodder. Right. What, what more could I ask for? Yeah, right. So. so much color, <laughs> flavor. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Um, but you know, at the time, uh, back in, in 2010, 2011, I began to write a book and um, it focuses on shame and it's, called hidden among the baggage and it's just you know even the the um line the tagline on my blog is encouraging women to stop hiding among the baggage of their past and let god use their story for his glory and i'm you know i what i didn't realize i didn't write on my book for a couple years and what i realized is that through this process of going through this shame of uh, how i was as a parent it was just adding more chapters to this book. It was just something that God was like, you know, you're not done with this book yet. I've got more for you coming. And it was really learning how to process that and um, not own the actions of my son, but learn from the mistakes that I had made as a parent because we do. And and yet there wasn't any time that God said, yep, there it is. That's That's the timeline right there where you messed up. I really believe that God let me focus on my lack of prayer life over my children and prayer. That's, that's a, still a struggle for me. I, I don't, you know, um, I don't always get that right. I'm very cautious of telling, just telling people, Hey, I'll pray for you because you know, it's like, I really want to make sure that I'm going to pray for that person. Cause there's nothing worse than someone coming up to you and saying, thank you so much for praying. And I'm turning my head going, dear Jesus, please help me. You know? And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. So I've really been very careful. I don't just throw that out. If I say that I'm praying, I'm praying. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've realized the importance of that. 
And sometimes there's nothing wrong with just praying for them right there, typing out the prayer right there. I, I've, I can resonate with what you're saying. And um, try, I try so hard to do that prayer yeah, right then so. because, uh, you know, it's not that you're right. ill-intented to not pray right. for them. It's just life is full and it's it busy. Is. And um, a lot of times people, what they mean is I'm thinking of you. I'll be thinking of you. Right. Um, and, and yet they say, I'm praying for you. So, yeah, it is. That's a little tricky. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that yeah. anything that God tried to show me of me going back and trying to dig into his toddler years and his elementary years and junior high and trying to find out the exact, I wanted a time. I wanted to know when I messed up. And I think that what he showed me was that your prayer life is weak and you really need to be covering these kids from the time they are born to the time that they, you know, just all the time, just pray for your children uh, so still, as my kids are adults and they're out on their own, my two oldest are out on their own, that, you know, I still pray over my kids. And I, I like I said, I don't pray that God gives them good days. I pray that they, he, he interrupts them. He interrupts their days. So. Well, and don't you think prayer, prayer is a tool God uses n- not only to protect our kids or to answer what our requests are, but He's not really playing a tricky game like, oh, they didn't pray, so I'm going to allow devastation in their life. You know, right. He's not a God like that. But I think prayer, in a deeper sense, changes us as we pray because it, it's time spent with God, with His Word. And as our character is cultivated through that experience of prayer and spending time with God, we become more like Him, and our parenting is influenced and changed as a result as well. So it's... It's more than a, uh, it's, it's a two or threefold blessing to, to commit and to have a prayer life that is active mm-hmm. and engaged with God. Right. I remember when I first began to realize that God wanted a relationship with me, I was in my late twenties and I had gone to, I'd grown up in a Christian home. I had gone to church three times a week at that time. You went Wednesdays and twice on Sundays and, you know, yes. um, and then I went to a private Christian school from first to 12th, well, really kindergarten in California and then first to 12th grade in Nebraska. And uh, mm. it wasn't until my late 20s that I realized that God desired relationship with me. And I was reading a book called Creative Counterpart by Linda Dillow. And I'll never forget, she was explaining how, you know, she was explaining about the relationship and how he doesn't just want to be our Sunday God. He doesn't want us just just to go to church on Sunday. And she said, you know, she she compared it to her husband. That how would it be if I came in my house and talked to my husband for just one hour a week? You know, you wouldn't know anything about, I wouldn't know anything about him. And she talked about that with God. And that just stuck with me. Like, wow, you know, that that's so true. Like, if I just go meet with God on Sundays and have my little church time, you know, I'm not growing a relationship with him. And, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so... It's been a it's been a journey, but yep, I, I know that he wants that relationship with me, and he's willing to get it, you know, any way that he can, whether it's through writing, have someone write on a notebook and have it appear in my life, you know, seven years later, <laughs> or even one time I remember yeah. I was driving and I was crying so hard, and I was uh, I had an hour drive to Omaha, and I was just praying and pleading for God to show my son some mercy. It was getting closer to that trial date, and. And I was just mm. pleading for, for mercy. And all of a sudden, this big semi comes driving by me. And it had huge 
letters on the side of it and the back of it that said the word grace. That's all it said. And I did what every driver should do. And I sped up and I took pictures, you know, but I was so moved. Like, <laughs> he did things like that throughout that year of waiting for the trial. He just did things like that mm-hmm. that would just blow me away. Like, wow. Okay. And that's what I, I really begin to realize. And I say this all the time when I'm speaking is that whatever circumstance we're going through, whether it's in parenting or marriage or finances or whatever, and we are devastated by that circumstance that we feel like it's so overwhelming and that we can't even get a grip on it. That particular circumstance is not going to take the title away from God, that he is the victorious one, that he is the almighty God. And so we were approaching our first holidays without our son. And my girlfriend asked me if I would write a blog post on her blog as a guest. And it was um, about Christmas without my son. Well, I, I wasn't there yet. I didn't know what that was going to be. So that was probably a, a really one of the most challenging pieces I'd ever written because I hadn't experienced mm-hmm. that yet. So the first draft that I sent her, we both were like, uh-uh, that's not it. <laughs> so I had to go back to the <laughs> And it took me a couple weeks to do this, but it was like all of a sudden it just hit me that uh, the verse in Isaiah, and I believe it's Isaiah 9-6, and it uh, talks about, let's see, let me look it up here real quick. Yes, for to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what I did is I went through every title that Jesus claimed to be and wrote out how he was for me in that period. Because the title of um, the blog post that she wrote, or that she had me write, was Christmas Interrupted. And so I, you know, just had to really realize, okay, how is he my wonderful counselor? How is he my Prince of Peace? Such good questions to ask. How is God our counselor, our wonderful counselor? And how does he bring our hearts peace? Because I think Leela's right. When we reflect on that and we ponder that, no matter what muddy situation we're facing in our own lives or with our kids, God is there and he is ready and willing and able to be our counselor, our wonderful counselor, and to bring our hearts peace. And I hope that you found some avenue toward that in your own life today as you've listened to Leela share. And I hope, it's my great hope that you would join us next time for the conclusion of Leela's story as she continues to share about what she faced in the next year or so following the anticipation of court and sentencing and all that was ahead for her son and her family. And I know that you'll be encouraged by her and all of the, the little nuggets she found along the way that she wants to share with you. And so we look forward to that next time. As usual, you can find the show notes to this episode over at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 57. And if you'd like to receive a free PDF of some quotes and things that Leela shared in this episode, I'd love it if you text the words episode 57 to the number Three three four four four. All you have to do is text message that and it will give you a reply and then deliver that PDF directly to your email inbox completely for free. And that is my gift to you. And I hope it encourages you greatly. 
Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend here with me and with Leela. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. And it would mean so very much to me if you would be willing to go over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. And that way it'll get updated each and every time I release an episode to you. You can also get the Mud Stories podcast app for free. All you have to do is go to uh, your local place where you get apps or you can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash Apple app or JackieWatkins.com forward slash Android app and download it for free either way. But I'd love for you to subscribe to the show. And then if you would be willing to leave a rating or review over at iTunes, it would bless me so much. I love hearing feedback from you. And an a review on iTunes helps iTunes know, hey, they like this show and they and they are willing to show it to more people and give it more exposure. And so more people can hear these mud stories and be encouraged because I think there's a lot of people out there who are in pain and going through hard things and they just feel super alone. I know what that felt like for me and it's my deepest desire that no one feels alone. And so that is one thing you guys could do to help get this show exposed to more people. Leave a rate a review and just even a short sentence, whatever it is, it would bless me so very much. So thank you in advance if you have time to do that. So I hope you have an amazing week. I hope it's a great time of either, you know, early back to school for you and your family or your friends, or as you prepare to re-enter this next week in whatever way you school your kids. I'm just praying the richest blessings on you, that God would be with you, that you would feel his pleasure, that you would sense his presence, that you would know his deep and rich love for you, no matter what, right where you are. And I'm so, again, cheering for you and thankful for you. And I will meet you here the next week. And until then, no matter what you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may we all take the time to find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you ever feels a press upon my mind I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you Safer place You overwhelm my broken thoughts And you mend 
song.